This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that, much like Johnny Depp, has a $30,000 a month wine habit. He is the captain. Yeah, not not only do I have a wine habit, but I have a scarf collection that (laughs) I have to have a whole separate house for. And lots of purple blazers, too. (laughs) It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Cheers, everybody. Today we are drinking Creme Brulee by Southern Tier Brewing Company, garage grade 5 out of 5 bottle caps. You know, Captain, it sounds crazy, but this is like a fancy dessert in a glass. You sound crazy. Be very careful, my friend, because this beer is 10% ABV, but it tastes so good that you could easily and very quickly have too many or too much. And pitching in on this week's beer run is Elizabeth from Newport Beach, California. Elizabeth, you have no idea how jealous I am. Newport Beach sounds fantastic. It's about 30 degrees outside of this garage. And it's gray. Next, we have Laplata from Laplata, Maryland, who says, As soon as I'm alone in my office, I turn on your show. My office mates would think I'm a psycho. If I listened while they were here, I think Laplata needs to work very hard, get a promotion, and get your own office very soon. Fact of the matter is, we don't think you're a psycho. True Crime Garage is not only your guilty pleasure, but it's your safe space as well. Next, we go to Germantown, Wisconsin, and say hi and a big thank you to Paul. Paul says, I really enjoyed the Facebook video of the captain showing us how he puts together the music for the show. Paul recommends that we cover Ed Edwards and the Sweetheart Mm. Murders. And you know, full disclosure here, Paul, we attempted to cover Ed Edwards. This would have been back in season two, but it worked out that there was just way too much to talk about that we couldn't cram it all into a, an hour and 15 show. Uh, we aren't doing, you know, we weren't doing two parters back then, but now we're doing a lot of them. So you might see Ed Edwards back on our calendar very soon. And next, we make it to our favorite stop in Parts Unknown today, Population One. 
And we say hi to David, who says, keep up the great work. Well, thank you, David. Next, a big, big thank you to Mike in New York. Mike says, buy a fine IPA. This round is on him. Yes. We may talk a little more about Mike one day. He sent me a lead a while back on a case that we covered. So, Mike, I know it looks like a dead end at the moment, but there is still some legs on this thing, and I'll have an update for everybody as soon as it's available and appropriate. So thank you, Mike, and cheers to you. Next, we have Bucky and Kayla from Toronto. You know, Captain, I have never been to Toronto. I've always wanted to go. And I know that they have Canadian football up there, but I have always thought that Toronto should have an NFL team. As a matter of fact, let's start a fundraising campaign and we could have a football <laughs> franchise in Toronto, Captain. In 20 years. Captain, you could be like the crazy Jerry Jones of Canada and I would be more like the Al Davis. I want to be the Gronkowski of Toronto. Just win, baby. Just win. Let's stay in Canada and say hi and thank you to Amanda in Ontario. And last but certainly not least, a huge thank you to Acid Cherry, who says, I apologize for the atrocious PayPal name, but I set this up 12 years ago and I can't figure out how to change my name. (laughs) So Acid Cherry, I should put you in contact with the captain because not only is he the sound engineer here of the garage, but he is also head of the IT department. So Thank you to all for pitching in for the beer for this week. And if you want to buy us around for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. All right, let's get right into it. That's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer, and let's talk some true crime. Meredith was our shining light in our lives. And now we are left with a hole in our hearts that will not heal. In our civilized society, we protect and nourish such heinous criminals as Mr. Hilton by providing three hot meals a day and a warm place to sleep under the protective, watchful eye of penal officials. Therefore, I feel that no punishment is too severe for Mr. Hilton. I only pray that he suffers immensely for his heinous acts and that even his fellow inmates recognize his evil and malevolence for mankind and treat him with appropriate measures. And how do you plead to the charge of the murder in Dawson County, Georgia on the fourth day of January 2008 with malice aforethought causing the death of Meredith Pope Emerson? Guilty. It is therefore the judgment of this court upon your plea of guilty to murder that you are guilty of the crime charge. I'm informing you, Mr. Hilton, that I'm about to pronounce your sentence. And after I've pronounced the sentence, you will not be permitted to withdraw your plea of guilty. Is there anything you would like to say? No, Your Honor. I sentence you to spend the remainder of your natural life in prison in the custody of the Georgia Department of Corrections. It is the intention of the court that you never receive parole. Gary Michael Hilton was arrested for the disappearance 
abduction of Meredith Emerson after they found her ID, her purse, and bloodstained clothing in a dumpster. And they also found some other items of of that in his van as well. Mm -hmm. And as you heard there, he was convicted after confessing to her murder. He led the law enforcement to her body. Uh, He did this so he could avoid the death penalty is basically the situation here. Yeah. And he ends up getting life and a life sentence in the state of Georgia. And what you heard in that clip there is her father, who is of course upset of the situation and rightfully so calling for a little bit of what sounds like prison justice there, because he's never going to get to see his daughter again. And this jerk gets to go off to prison and he's going to get three meals a day and he's going to live in a, in a warm cell and he's going to live out the rest of his days and this guy has lost his daughter to this animal. And because he he confessed to it, he's not going to get the death penalty. Right. Now, what happens here is shortly after his sentence, we start seeing a situation where we have law enforcement agencies from other states meeting with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, who headed up the search for Meredith Emerson. They're meeting with them because they want to discuss this Hilton guy. They want to know they have similar crimes in their states and they want to know, is he responsible for these crimes? Because we're talking about a guy that you can't really nail down here, right? You can't really put a picture of where he was living when, because he was a bit of a drifter. He was somebody that would go and stay in parks and national forests for days or weeks at a time and drive around the country. You, for the last at least year or so of his life, you can't really pin him down. Now, this is actually something that he's done for most of his adult life. And when hearing interviews with him, he almost brags about having not worked a full-time job ever in his life. Well, no, it's not kind of brags. He definitely brags. I mean, again, like we've said uh, in the last episode, this guy thinks he is a genius. Yes, he, he's I, he's labeled with like 120 IQ, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, which is, of course, is above average. But uh uh, you know, he's, he's definitely not genius level, but, but when you hear him speak, you know, he, he always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. 100%. Yeah. And so not only do we have similarities in other cases, we have evidence collected by law enforcement and the Meredith case that possibly could link him through DNA or, or whatever. Yeah. These, these are items that were collected in his van and items that he was disposing of while he was, he knew he was on the run for Meredith Emerson's case. Right. And while they were trying to collect him and pick him up, they collected evidence that he was disposing of. Now, one of those cases in particular is that of a woman named Cheryl Dunlap. And I'll take you real quickly through her case. Yeah. Uh, this takes us back to December 1st of 2007, 46 year old Cheryl Dunlap misses church uh, and after church, she's actually uh, so involved with the church that she is teaching Sunday school as well. Um, she misses Sunday school, which both of these things are very out of character for Cheryl. Yeah, my at my church when I was a kid, Sunday school was during the service. I think it, that's a smart way to do it so that the kids are not in church t- disrupting right, the, the adults. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens here is when she's not present at church and she misses the Sunday school, her neighbor decides to go, you know, walk over to Cheryl's place and check on Cheryl. This would be on Monday morning. Because, yeah, it wouldn't be a huge red flag if she just missed the service. But the fact that she is the Sunday school teacher and she didn't call or no no call, no show, it's a little odd. 
Yeah, so she goes over to check on the home and check on Cheryl. And what she discovers there is that the dog, Cheryl's dog is present. Now, Cheryl is is a divorced woman. She lived alone. Mm -hmm. And her dog is there. However, Cheryl... There's nothing wrong with that. Cheryl's not there and her vehicle's not there as well. Yeah, yeah. And this kind of alerts the neighbor. So the the neighbor decides to notify Cheryl's family Mm -hmm. that she's concerned that she hasn't seen her all day at church on Sunday. And here again on Monday, Cheryl is nowhere to be seen. What happens here is she's then reported missing. Um, and quickly after that, the police find her vehicle off of the highway. And, of course, Cheryl's not to be found with the, with the vehicle. But police notice that one of the tires on her vehicle has been slashed. Yeah. Cheryl has been missing now for about four days when the police obtained Cheryl's bank records. Her bank card has been used several times at ATM machines. Mm-hmm. Police obtain video footage from the ATMs. And this is immediately clear, right? The person using Cheryl's card, it, I mean, it's definitely not Cheryl, 100%. It's actually it's actually some pretty creepy images here. It's Captain. very creepy. I, I will post this uh, on Instagram for anybody that wants to check it out. Uh, it's really hard to, we, we kind of debated back and forth on this yesterday, um, you know, privately, right? Our mm-hmm. private is, you know, it looks like a mask that is made out of tape. Yeah, but there is some speculation that maybe he took parts of a Mike Myers mask and uh, created like a tape plus latex mask. I mean, either way, when you see the image, it's very, uh, very creepy. Yeah, what it looks like to me is general description of this image is you see it's it's very obviously a man's body, not a woman's body to me. It, mm-hmm. it looks very mannish, and um, you see a man wearing a button-up shirt. But he's got every button buttoned up, you know, all the way from the collar down. Yeah. Um, and kind of a hipster look. Yeah. And the, the man appears, as the captain said, to be wearing some kind of mask that could have been fashioned from tape. Like, like just like maybe even just taping up his face, um, creating some kind of mask of his own. And he's wearing a dark hat and glasses. Um, the thing here is, you know, we, we did debate, debate about it a little bit, but yeah. there was a... Um, Fred Rosen wrote a book about this called uh, Trail of Death. And so he looked obviously looked into this case a lot more than we did. We've just been diving into this thing for the last week or so. But uh, he says the way that he describes the mask is similar to that of like the the old movie, The Invisible Man, you know, that yeah. because, you know, he would wrap himself up like a mummy almost so you could you could see him. Um, so that is very much what it looks like to me as well. Now. The ATM, one of these ATMs was actually accessed more than once using Cheryl's bank card. Mm -hmm. So the police decide that they are going to stake out this ATM. Unfortunately, that machine is never used again. And in fact, after that period, Cheryl's card is never used again. Now, what's interesting to me is, is there any evidence that she went hiking? No, I, I'm a little, I'm a little uncertain as to her disappearance. Uh, yeah, because because we found the car. Yeah, and then we had, you know, so it, it's one of those things where it could, uh, could Cheryl be been picked up at a gas station or a hitchhiker? I mean, the thought that I've heard put out there is: remember the slash in the tire. Mm-hmm. The thought was that maybe um, somebody had spotted her somewhere, decided that they wanted to abduct her. Mm-hmm. And she may have been out running errands or or doing other things, and then they they cut the tire and followed her until it would 
the you know the tire would be deflated right completely and then, and then when when she's stranded i'm going to pull up and offer, offer assistance right. yeah and then you abduct her so in mid-december 2007 this is in the apalachicola national forest uh i apologize i'm a little uncertain if it was hikers or persons that were actually searching for uh for Cheryl or for clues in the area for the missing woman. Mm -hmm. But the story goes like this, that they were out in the area and they noticed a vulture circling above. Oh, I think it was hunters. Okay. Yeah. I think it was actually, uh, hunters or hikers, but I I think they noticed the vulture and that's when they said, Hey, we got to check this out. Yeah. And using the vulture, like some kind of bloodhound, they go to the area that the vulture's circling mm-hmm. and there they find a human body underneath some debris, you know, leaves and things now. But here's the thing though, the, the head and the hands are missing from the body right? and the body itself actually appears to have been burnt very badly. I mean, burned very badly. Mm-hmm. So, so to the point that the, the authorities are unable to identify this body. Okay, so, I mean, just to clear this up real quick, we don't know if she was hiking for sure, but we do have this body that's found in a park, mm-hmm. right? It is decapitated, which is the same as uh, Meredith's case. Yep. Uh, we have ATM usage with this uh, wiry figure mm-hmm. um, covered in tape on his face. And so th- these are the similarities. I'm just right. trying to follow you, follow you on this. So what they end up doing is they use, you know, of course they've already seen the ATM footage by the time that they find the this unidentified right. body. So they're already expecting foul play in Cheryl Dunlap's situation. Somebody has obtained her bank card and she's missing. You assume foul play here. Right, right. Uh, what they end up doing is they take Cheryl's toothbrush and they collect the DNA so that they are able to match it to the unidentified body. All right. So December 2007, we have Cheryl Dunlap's body. Uh, we now have it identified. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward, we have the Meredith Emerson case. And we have all these similarities popping up. And now we have Cheryl Dunlap's DNA. But we also have all this evidence that we collected from Gary Hilton's van. Mm-hmm. The creepy, you know white Astro van that he was driving around. So when they test that surprise, surprise, well, we have Cheryl Dunlap's DNA in his van. Yeah. We've got a match. So, I mean, we got a smoke and gun. Mm-hmm. This is open shut case. Not so simple because they're going to take him to Florida and they're going to try him. Cause I believe they want to try to get the death penalty in this case. Well, they do. And the reason being is that you already know that he's locked up in Georgia for life. Okay. Uh, so now you're going to push the envelope. Mm-hmm. You're going to say, we're going to take you to Florida and we're going to put you on trial. I'm sure he probably tried to manipulate the situation like he did in Meredith Emerson's case. That's because this guy thinks he's a freaking genius. Right. So he probably said, you know, let's see if we can work out a deal and just get life in Florida as well. Right. They're not going to do that in Florida. They don't need to. He's locked up regardless. Right. It's time to put him on death row. And guess what? good for everybody else, whether you're for or against the death penalty, let's not argue about that because I think this situation is, is a unique situation. And yeah, the the only problem that I have with it is by going after the death penalty, then you give this guy ample amounts of time to get his name in the paper, Mm -hmm. uh, constantly go back to retrial. You know, 
if you push the death penalty. Plus, plus in Florida, I believe that if you are being tried and, and sentenced to death, that they, I think they pay for your defense, right. which is not cheap. It's no, millions of dollars. Yeah, I have a problem with that. And I also have, and we've talked about this before, and uh, we try to, I mean, we can't do it all the time, but we try to stay away from, you know, labeling the show, you know, by the killer's name because hmm. we don't want to give them any, you know, press. Right. You know, we're not praising this guy. We're not praising this monster, you know. So he goes to Florida and we got to start this trial, right? Mm-hmm. And this is when America is going to learn a lot about Wait, this. America or America? America, uh, both. Okay, both. United we stand. America and America. <laughs> yeah. So, to so, <laughs> so <laughs> sorry, sorry, you kind of threw me off here. Um, but now we're going to start learning about Gary Hilton and who he is. Mm-hmm. And the reason I being, mean, other than that, he's a huge piece of shit. Well, the reason being here is Florida's paying for his defense. And mm-hmm. so they're going to make every effort to push the envelope to make sure that he does not receive the death penalty. So they're going to bring up things about his childhood and his yeah. life. Uh, and what we learned during this trial is that, uh, you know, he didn't have the, the, the greatest of upbringings. His, his father left when he was young, his mother remarried. And this guy didn't sound like a real great guy. Um, and the story about that is interesting. Yeah. So what happens here and everybody wants to know, you know, what makes a serial killer, what makes a multiple murder. Mm -hmm. And this gives us a little insight into that, right? Well, some of it is probably not made. Right. Well, there's an argument for, you know, nature versus nurture. Right, right, right. And, and I would argue that in a lot of cases, it's a combination of both. Yeah, yeah. In this situation, we have a, a young man. He's, he, when he's very young, one of those Murphy beds, you know, the beds that fold up into a wall. Mm-hmm. I've and, always wanted one. Well, this Never is a good one. reason not to get one. The, it collapsed and uh-huh. it had fallen on Gary Hilton when he was a boy. And this caused a significant head wound. Uh, yeah, Mm. he received over 200 stitches. It almost like Jesus, it almost like scalped him, uh, in a way. And so it's later going to be learned and determined. How old was he? Do you know? I I think he was a young boy, probably six or seven. Okay. So under 10. Yeah. So it would be later determined by his defense team that during this accident of the Murphy bed scalping him, Mm -hmm. that he did receive some form of brain damage. He had damage to the frontal lobes, which which a lot of people yeah, will yeah, yeah. will argue that uh, you know that, that that can create these monsters in a way. Um, so he has this this injury from a childhood, but but another weird thing happens too. There's a little bit of abuse going on by the stepfather. Uh, he's he's not a not a great stepfather. There's it, even a story how he is this physical or is it sexual or I don't think it was sexual. I think it was mainly physical and, mm-hmm. and probably more like verbal and emotional rather than physical as well. But right. um, he when Gary is like ten or eleven, his his stepfather is telling him that he should be he should have a job. He should be out working. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that this guy is from another country, uh, and he, and he may not understand that in, in there's a, labor laws. Yeah, and right. in America we don't go off. And yeah, work but when back we're in yeah, but back in Gary's day, he could have been a newspaper boy. I mean, that's what that's what I rocked. Rocked the newspaper route, pretty young age. When Gary was thirteen, he shot his stepfather. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. That's, but and then on trial, like when his mother is talking about this, it's it's crazy. 
And this wasn't like uh, like he grazed his arm or something. He shot him in his body. Yeah, he shot him in his lower stomach. And and the count was, I don't know what happened. I think maybe it was one of the times where if there were, you know, physical abuse, he was probably getting beat, uh, which was way more common back in, you know, Gary's childhood days, just in general around the whole country in, in America. Um, but... I wonder if it's a situation where it's like, I can't take this anymore. You're not going to hurt me anymore. I have a gun. And then the stepfather starts screaming at Gary. Shoot me. Just shoot me. So he does. Shoots him right in the lower stomach. Well, it doesn't kill him. No, no. And, And the strange thing here, too, is the stepfather chooses not to press charges against Gary. What ends up happening is... Yeah, but I think that's either the mother protecting Gary or maybe the stepfather did have, you know, did actually care about him. Just didn't know how to be a, a stand-up man or a stand-up parent. Uh, or maybe he was abusing him and felt, a, well, yeah, didn't want guilty. that to come out or felt guilty. Yeah. Or he did even something worse to him that would have been, uh, you know, cause back in the day you could, you could smack your kid around a little bit and they weren't going to, they weren't going to haul you to jail. Right. But, who knows how how bad it was. Well, what ends up happening here is that even though charges are not pressed against him, he is taken away. He's diagnosed with some form of, of mental illness. Um, and we will see this again later in Gary's life. But he spends roughly about a half of a year in uh, receiving some form of treatment and not living with his parents. Now, when mm-hmm. he is released from this, his mother will not let him move back into the house. Um, she, and he's still a minor at this time. Obviously. Well, I just love how the mom takes the stepfather's side. What ends up happening is somebody, they take Gary in and he lives with them until he's about 17, maybe 18. And then he mm-hmm. enlists in the army and mm-hmm. he actually does see some active duty. He's stationed over in Germany and he's with this unique, uh, unit, this unique platoon of, of 18 or 19 guys. I believe it was 19 guys. You know, you have one officer and then you have all these, these, these other 18, mm-hmm. uh, you know, army guys. And basically they're called the Davy Crockett platoon. Yeah. And that was th- the platoon I was in. Well, this, this I was is the captain of that platoon. This is the strangest, uh, unit that I've ever heard of because mm-hmm. what their, what their whole thing That's what is. she said is that they have these, basically a, it's a handheld nuclear weapon. And I've seen a picture of this. They call it a handheld, but if you look at a picture of this, it looks almost like like the size of a, a human body, like a man-sized weapon. But you can hold these things, and much like a rocket launcher, they will fire a nuclear, a small nuclear weapon. Well, the issue here is, and I don't know how much of this that these these army guys actually knew about, but their, their job was if they were stationed in Germany and if they saw the Russians approaching, they were, they were told to fire, like fire these nuclear weapons and we're going to create a nuclear war, I guess. Great. But the situation here is these weapons only fire so far. So if you fire one of these weapons, you're, it's a suicide mission. Basically you're, you're going to, you're going to die in the aftermath of, of firing this weapon. Great. Let's dive into Gary Hilton more right after this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, 
It can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. 
Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Quick beer break. All right, and we're back. Cheers, everybody. So where we left off, we have Gary Michael Hilton, and he is a confessed killer, and now he's down in Florida, and he's being tried for murder once again, and he's facing the death penalty this time. Right. We've learned that he's had a head injury when he was a child. We learned that he shot his stepfather and went 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 off away for about six months for that. And he was un, unwelcome in his parents' home when he comes back. Right. Now he served some time in the Army and the U.S. military. He's there for about three years. And he kind of, uh, he, he starts to lose it while he's there. Mm-hmm. And he gets an honorable discharge. Uh, the army technically diagnoses him with uh, schizophrenia. Right. Well, I I also think what's weird is, did he lose it in the army, or did, you know, did it just take him years to figure out he's already lost it? Well, remember he had they identified some mental illness when he was a child when he when he was thirteen and shot his stepfather. Right. I think this is an ongoing thing. I think this is something that he's had, and maybe it manifests itself more the older that he's got. Uh, maybe the stress of being in the army and being well, stationed schizo- overseas. Yeah. Schizophrenia normally is a late teens, early twenties type thing. Uh, but there is some early onset sides of uh, schizophrenia. Yeah. So we, we, I don't want to go through all of his, his history because we only have so much time here today, mm-hmm. but basically his adult life after he gets honorable discharge from the U S military, it goes like this. He's in and out of marriages. He's married three times. Right. Uh, I think the lengthiest marriage that he's in was two years. Some of these these other two marriages. So depressing. I mean, how can <laughs> how can this uh, douche canoe uh, trick three women? 
Well, yeah, and, and two of the women are only married to him for less than a year. Well, he didn't trick him for too long. Yeah, but. but but there you are with something there, Captain. He basically spends most of his adult life as a con man. Well, think about this. I know, look, Valentine's Day is coming up, right? And, you know, some you know some people say it's National Singles Day. Well, if you're sitting out there, if you're listening to the Captain's voice on 105.69. The Garage. The Garage. Smooth jams in the garage. If you're listening to me right now and you're single, be happy about that because you're not dating some monster like Gary Michael Hilton. So be thankful for that. You know, one of the things he was doing when he was conning these people, well, no, this is to tip you off on on uh, what some of these women, why the divorces came so abruptly mm-hmm. and so quickly. He was running fake charities. He was running, he's getting people to donate money and he's pocketing all of the money. Yeah. You know, the Gary Hilton Foundation or, you know, I'm joking, but he was running yeah, these yeah, fake yeah. charities on and off for most of his adult life. And when these, when his wives would learn what he was doing, of course, they don't want to be anywhere around him. Plus right. he's, he's a terrible guy. I mean, you can, even if take away the murder. All right. If you listen, they have this thing on, you can find it on YouTube. It's called the Gary Hilton background interviews. This yeah. is where the Georgia Bureau of investigation spent hours and hours with him. Mm-hmm. They're a little troubling to listen to because they are so lengthy and he might only throw in tidbits of, of information in these cases from time to time. So you kind of, it's a bit of a snooze fest. Uh, but the thing is, this guy loves to talk and he loves to tell you how smart he is and how, how intelligent he is. Mm. This guy is Sounds like, like somebody I know. Well, he's like a toy, man. You wind him up and he just, <laughs> he just starts going and right. he, he spends these, these background interviews are hours long and the, the investigators speak so little, so little during, they will ask him a question he will spend 20 minutes answering this question and he'll tell you everything about anything. Mm-hmm. So he's probably a horrible guy to be married to, uh, let alone the, the con aspect of his life. Right. Um, what ends up happening here is thankfully he, he does receive the death penalty in Cheryl Dunlap's case. Uh, and thankful, I'm thankful that Florida is also a fast track state. It's much like the state of Texas where, you, they actually still execute people there. Even, you know, a lot of states have the death penalty. Yeah. Their average, never use it. Right. Their average stay on death row is I believe 12 years. You're exactly Um, right. But also, I mean, when you have somebody that's, you know, again, this um, beautiful lady and beautiful mother and a friend to a bunch of people and Cheryl to actually get closure for her family and friends. I think that that's the main thing that, that that's great. That came out of this. You know, the, all the other stuff with Gary, I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's the closure that that is really good. Yeah. And the one of the things, too, that's going to tie him in as well. You know, we talked about some of the similarities of the Dunlap case in the Meredith Emerson case. Um, but don't forget here, Cheryl Dunlap, she was disposed of in a national forest. Right. So, you know, there's your similarity there. Meredith, Meredith is abducted from one and we have Dunlap who is disposed of in one. Now we also have investigators from the great state of North Carolina who are comparing notes with law enforcement officials in both Florida and Georgia, because we have a situation that happened here in November of 2007. Mm -hmm. We have a missing couple. This is John Bryant and his wife of more than 50 years. Irene, they're an elderly couple. John is 79 and Irene is 84. They are avid hikers. They both go missing in the Pesqua National Forest. So here's what happens here. 
they 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 go out hiking all the time. It was, it's not a big deal for them to go on these day hikes. Mm-hmm. Okay, they don't come home from this. Their their family lived in other states. Their their children did. Yeah, but they actually called family members and said, "Hey, we're going hiking, and this is where we're going." They were always forthcoming with everybody just in case something would happen. Yeah, and much like Cheryl Dunlap's situation, the the mail starts to pile up at the Bryant's home, and a neighbor notices this and calls one of the family members. Yeah. Their son from Texas, he flies to North Carolina, and he goes looking for his parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't have much luck. I believe that he ends up finding their vehicle. Um, but No, well, he... Go ahead. Uh, back up a little bit. He does go to their house. He breaks into their house. Yeah. Uh, and then sees that their their breakfast from a couple weeks ago because they've been missing for a couple weeks. Um, by the he, like we said, the family members live out of town, so by the time he gets there, it's been it some time has elapsed. Yeah. Uh, there's still their breakfast from you know days and days ago was still on the table, so that's definitely a sign of this. There's something major wrong. When they they know where they went hiking, so they went and started searching. Um, I think they did contact the police, but they're doing their own search, and they found their parents' vehicle. Yeah, and this was a place that they had hiked often, you know. So you wouldn't expect them to get lost or anything like that. Yeah. But you know, as well, you, but the major concern there is because there are they're, they're elderly, right? So maybe that there was a heart attack or something. But chances are, if one of them had a heart attack, that the other one would contact the whole family. And what's the likelihood that both of them would have had a medical emergency? Yeah. And the, the very big concern here, uh, which goes along with that red flag that you were talking about, is they know that John has a heart condition. And for this, he relies on a certain type of heart medication. Right. Uh, and this is the type of medication that you are not able to go very long without. Uh, so this is this is of grave concern here. Uh, investigators are trying to track the Bryants to see if they can find any hint at locating the elderly couple. So they tried tracking the couple's phone records. It was then learned that Irene had tried to use her cell phone on October 21st at 4 p.m. to call 911, but because of a lost signal, the call never reached the emergency call center. Mm -hmm. It was also learned that on the day after the attempted 911 call, the couple's ATM card was used to withdraw $300. This transaction was the first transaction made since the couple went missing, but the card had not been used since. On November 21st, 2007, 30 yards away from the Bryant's SUV that was already discovered, under a pile of leaves and debris, a body is found. This body is pretty badly decomposed, and at first there are no signs of foul play, but as is true in most counties, a, a, a found body is always treated as a homicide. Right, right. So after they process the scene, the body will be transferred, transported for identification and to determine the cause of death. Yeah, and what they determined was that the cause of death was a blunt force trauma to the head. Yes, and this does end up being the body of Irene Bryant. Um, so now we have a situation where the, the missing couple, of they've gone missing in the woods. And we have uh, the wife has been found dead. We know that it's a homicide. The husband's still missing at this point, though. Right. They haven't found him. And remember, we talked about that the uh, the ATM card had been used. And again, we are going to see footage from that ATM machine. This is a quite a bit different than the Cheryl Dunlap case, though, because in the Cheryl Dunlap case, we get to see 
the criminal up close and personal. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about the tape mask. This situation, Captain, it, it appears that the video camera is one of those from like the drive through of a bank and the right. ATM is is a lane or two over from uh, from the drive through window that's recording this footage. And what you end up seeing here is you don't see a full you don't get to see the face of of the person using the ATM card. Right. What you do see is you get you see that it's probably a man's body. Um, but you basically see a yellow rain jacket. Right. Now this later would be determined would be determined to be the rain jacket of John Bryant. And one thing that the officials figure out here is that the body size of the man in relationship to the ATM machine, you can get an idea of the size of the person using the card, mm-hmm. even though you can't see the face or see the, see the actual body. But they determined that the body size and shape is different of that than John Bryant's. So immediately they know that this card is being used by somebody else and we have we have a horrible situation here. Yeah, and as law enforcement is gathering evidence, they don't have a suspect. You know, they're trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together and they really just kind of sit on their hands because well that makes it sound bad on their part. But they, they don't really have any leads. Right. And then with this Emer- uh, with the Meredith Emerson case, now we got a guy, and this seems very eerie, eerily similar to our case. So now law enforcement is going to come down and talk to him. Yeah, so what happens is Meredith Emerson, she that case happens. Okay, her body is found. He le- leads them to her body. He, he confesses to the crime. And it's shortly after that, it's in February of 2008, that John Bryant's body is found in the Nantahala National Forest, North Carolina. So again, like the captain said, all these similarities. But once this case goes out into the news and people start seeing his face, well, then it is... Yeah, then see Hilton's face. They yeah. start realizing that, that Gary Hilton, there are eyewitnesses that place him at the Pisqua Forest uh, before the abduction, mm-hmm. you know, just days before the abduction. And this is a whole state away from where he lives. You know, so so to put him there, he's he's also photographed there as well. Uh, what ends up happening is he goes to trial for this situation. He's going to originally plead not guilty, but he will later change his plea to guilty. He will admit to killing both John and Irene Bryant. He what he ended up doing was he cat he kidnapped John Bryant and through force, intimidation, and violence, he used the the ATM card and got the pin code from John to get the three hundred dollars. And after he had robbed John, he had no use for him anymore. And he, he shot him in the head with a twenty two caliber gun. Yeah, and then those background tapes that you were talking about, that's the thing. He, he mentions it multiple times. Hey, you're running low on money. Well, now you got to go murder somebody. And that's a, you know, we were talking about this earlier. That's such a far stretch. I mean, if you are a criminal, if you're a con man, then... You know, you're running low on money, you go rob somebody. Or you're running low on money, then you do, uh, you know, one of your charity frauds. You know, you're a con man. But he's more of a murderer than he is a con man. Well, well, let's investigate that real quick. Because we have all these other cases. There's missing persons cases. There's other bodies out there that are similar in situation to crimes committed by Gary Hilton. Mm -hmm. Where we're talking about state parks and national forest involved here. Is he is he someone that's killed more than four people? Because well, yeah, so right now we have John I- and Irene Bryant, we have Cheryl Dunlap, 
and we have Meredith Emerson. Those are the ones that he has confessed or was found guilty on. Correct. So one thing we, we got to investigate here is he is of one of the rarest breeds of serial killers. Okay. Well, is he? Well, that's the question. Let me get through this here. He he is one of only three people in United States history that waited until his 60s to start killing and became a serial killer. So that's a very rare breed of people. So mathematically, what that would tell us is it's probably not likely that he waited until his 60s to start killing. Mm-hmm. Mathematically, he's probably more like the rest of them and started killing before this timeline. So Yeah, let- I mean, possibly. Be, but I think when you have multiple people diagnosing you with some form of schizophrenia, I would say that it's it's a good possibility that that this statement is true and he is of the smaller percentage. So let, let me go through this for a while, and it might take me a minute to get through it, but this has kept me up for the last three nights. I've been trying to figure out uh-huh. what what is his his situation. What is his MO? Is he a guy that kills to cover up robbery or is he someone that just happens to rob and then kill? And I've struggled with this for, for days and nights now, and I've come to a conclusion and I'm going to go back to what the captain was referring to here, Gary's own words and those background interviews. And I'm going to remind you of some of those things that he said in some of those background interviews. Um, first off, let's go back to when he's talking about Meredith Emerson's case. He said, had I picked up the newspaper that morning instead of that afternoon, that girl, being Meredith, would still be alive. He says, when you take someone, you either kill them or you get caught. I am right. It's just math. You either kill them or you get caught. You know she saw the dog. Mm -hmm. You know she saw my van. All they have to do is put that out there and 10,000 people would be calling. Of course, I knew that I either kill them or I would get caught. But... If I'm already caught, then there is no use in killing them. I didn't kill them for any satisfaction. It was distasteful. It was dreadful. Trust me, it was. Of course, I was able to do this because of my general rage for society. Of course, of course. But of course, you get that way with people after a while. When he's he's also talking about another person in his life who is he thinks is a con man. This would be John Tabor his former boss that he does not like. He describes John Tabor as a con man. And he also describes him as a person that is committing crimes. And he states that he is not dangerous. Like me. I am a stud. I do crimes that studs would do. It's fucking weirdo. All right. Now let's say not a stud dude. You're a weirdo. Yeah. But let's quickly analyze this. What he's saying here is had he realized that his face was all over the news and all over the newspapers, he would Uh not have killed Meredith because it would have been easier to, to be charged with kidnapping and robbery than to be charged with murder after the fact, because in the eyes of the public, they already knew who did it. You know, they already knew who was involved here. That's why they're looking for him. Right. But because he didn't know they were looking for him, he killed her. Okay. So, so where am I going with this? What? Yeah, I want to know. Well, okay. So, does he rob and then kill to cover it up, or is is that just part of the whole deal? Is it one deal to him? It's just all one deal. I mean, when he says, "Hey, you're running low on money, so now you got to go kill somebody," I mean that that's what he said. He didn't yeah. say you got to go murder. He didn't say you got to go rob somebody. Right. He said you got to go kill somebody. Right. And you know, and then he can say whatever he wants. Uh, in the Meredith case, I mean, he killed three people before her. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, look, I mean, if you, 
you know, is, are there parts of him that are just a con man? Yes. But he, he's a killer. I mean, he's a murderer. That's it. Yeah. He, he, he says when he's talking about Meredith's case that, that he had $40 to his name and he only had a couple days worth of food. So what was he going to do? He knew he had to go kill somebody. Right. Well, like what you and I talked about though, uh, he, when he's robbing these people, he's robbing for small amounts of money. You know, from the Bryants, he only took $300. What is 300 bucks going to get you when you're, when you're a drifter? What is that going to buy you a week mm-hmm. out on the road? So what is your whole plan? This is a man with 120 IQ. And the only plan he can come up with is, you know what? I can, I can rob someone and kill them and get 300 bu- bucks and get by for a week. But then what are you going to do? What are you going to do after that, Gary? Uh, You're going to have to go again next week and kill somebody. And then the following week. So I I think he was using that as a way to kind of justify what he was doing. I think Um, you're exactly right. I was low on money. So then I I had to kill somebody. Just like when he says, well, if I would have saw the paper, you know, I would have let her go. No, you're not going to let anybody go. Because in that moment, that even if he saw that paper... Even though, see, hindsight, he's saying, oh, well, I would have let her go because you know, then you'd just get me on kidnapping. Mm-hmm. I knew I was caught. No, because in that moment, even if he saw the paper, he'd say, well, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to decapitate her so they can't find out who it is, and I, I'm going to go on the run because I can outsmart these people. Mm-hmm. And every moment when he's faced with whether or not I can outsmart somebody or not, he thinks he can. And he can't. I mean, here he, this guy is just—he's—he's he's a loser, and the, the whole fact of the trial when they keep bringing up the fact that well, he—he he is above intelligence. No, he's not. He's a horrible person. He's a dumbass. You know, it's it, well. Here's what I came up with, Captain. All right, what? Who is Gary Hilton? I think he's somebody that fancies himself a survivalist. Okay, he's somebody that that he's he's constantly camping. He's hiking. He refers to even his hiking clothing as equipment. He doesn't refer to it as clothing. It's equipment to him. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe this comes from being a child and, and having this bad stepfather move in, and he doesn't feel like he has a home. He becomes a survivalist then, and when he, when he's not allowed back into his home after— Yeah, but there's a bunch of people that like to hike and well, hang, camping hang. that are great people. So, go ahead. I'm not saying that every hiker and camper is a serial killer. I'm trying to go through what I what I personally think of Gary Hilton mm-hmm. and his situation. Okay, he I think he fancies himself a survivalist, and part of that being a drifter, he does need money to survive. How has he figured out that he's going to get that? He's going to get that through means of robbery, and he, for whatever reason, believes that he needs to kill to cover it up. I, I had to go back and think of another serial killer, and his name is Joseph Francois. Now, what Joseph Francois did was he would invite drug addicts and sex workers into his home, and then he would kill them. But what would take place beforehand was he would purposely leave large amounts of money or valuables lying around, trying to entice them into stealing from him or mm-hmm. catching them in the act of stealing. When they wouldn't steal from him, he would he would walk into a room, point to the money, and go irate on them and accuse them of stealing, even though they weren't doing anything, and he would end up murdering these women. What I'm getting at here is, just like Francois, who needed needed something to kick off that, that, that emotion and to kick off that anger inside of him mm-hmm. that would erupt into murder, I think is the same thing that we have here with Gary Hilton. 
Gary Hilton, you're exactly right, Captain. He was a killer in every sense of the word. He is a serial killer. He was he was going to kill no matter what. It was the robbery. It was it was the need for the survivalist in him that kicked that off. That made him rationalize to himself that it needed to be done. That gave him the anger and the hostility that he needed to erupt into murdering these people. Yeah, I think he did need some kind of accelerant to get it to the point. Start with the robbery. Therefore, now that they know who I am, so not to get caught, I will kill them. And that what that's what justifies my actions. Um, but again, I think some of some of some of him is just complete bullshit. He's very uh, he's very horseshit, and I don't know if he was a survivalist or not or nomad. For parts of his life, he wasn't. Towards the end, he was. You know, for a little bit. But I, again, then you would have to look at the mental health mm-hmm. and, and what is happening with his mental health and is that deteriorating? Is that what's becoming a monster? Again, I don't, I don't think you believe that he's in this small percentage of people that you know don't start killing until later in life. But he has confessed to some crimes, so why wouldn't he confess to more? Uh, that, that That's what I struggled with, and and I, I thought about that for quite some time because as much as he likes to talk, and we've seen him admit to three of these murders already, what is holding him back? But he only admitted to any of these murders after being pushed by evidence in law right. enforcement. I, I don't know if you had evidence on other cases, you might end up getting a confession from him. But mm-hmm. one thing that you were on to here, Captain, it was, was the mental health situation. We talked about there being problems with his mental health. And uh, Fred Rosen, who wrote that book about him, he points out that in 2007 is when when Gary starts receiving uh, Ritalin and maybe maybe high levels of Ritalin that he's supposed to be taking per doctor's orders. And according to Fred Rosen, this must have been what set him off and that he started killing in 2007. And we saw that with the with the murders that we just talked about. Well, okay, so so now we have our line in the sand, right? Did he start killing in his 60s or did he start killing before that? Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of uh, speculation out there regarding all kinds of other cases in other states, many of them involving national forest and state parks. All right, so what are some of the cases that might be linked to Gary Hilton? Well, we've come up with seven of them, and these are names that we've collected through different websites uh, that that it's not just us speculating on this. He, mm-hmm. he, this has already been suspected of as far as Gary Hilton's concerned. The first is Melissa Witt, who disappeared December 1st, 1994. And what makes authorities feel like she's connected to Gary Hilton? So this is a situation where she disappeared from Franklin County in Arkansas. Uh, and then more than a month later, her body was found in a rural area of Franklin County. Now, this is this is police officer suspicion. Mm -hmm. They say that while the crimes are separated by years and states, there are similarities that make it worth investigating a possible connection. Yeah. And I think it comes down to the fact that if you think Gary was killing before 2007, then this is definitely a case we want to look into. Mm -hmm. Uh, One that you also want to look into is the uh, death of Levi Frady. Now, Levi Frady was a young boy. Uh, he was 11 years old, and he was abducted while riding his bike. Now, the connection here is that his body was found the following day um, in the same area that that police would later find uh, Meredith Emerson's body. 
mm-hmm. as well as another person that is on our list. So while the it breaks the MO of the victimology here, where we have an 11-year-old boy. Well, and it also breaks the fact that we, we could assume that the 11-year-old boy is not carrying a debit card. Yeah, there's nothing to rob from him. Uh, the last time he was seen, he was riding his bicycle, and he was being followed, or he was following a small dog. Now, we do mm-hmm. know Gary Hilton was always with, with a dog, right. and the thought was that maybe, you know, this boy didn't have a dog, so maybe somebody had used the dog to uh, take the boy. Um, I, I didn't see a ton of similarities here other than the area where they found the body. One thing that's troubling here is, uh, police have been very hesitant to release any information on, on this body and Uh and on Levi's case. Uh, he was shot to death and we do know that Gary used a gun to kill John Bryant. However, they, they refuse to, uh, give the caliber of gun in mm-hmm. this situation where with the Bryant situation, it was a 22 caliber. Which, so that, that could help us a bit here. Yeah. And the body being found in the same area as Meredith to me is, you know, definitely, you know, leaves some kind of, Oh, well you got to look into this. And to me, they, they need to look on the angle of maybe not so much, you know, robbery. Cause that doesn't make a lot of sense. But what if, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of times about Hilton getting in, conversations with other people about dogs mm-hmm. and what happened what maybe there was some accident maybe the kid hit the dog you know with his bike or something and that set gary into a rage yeah that, that's a possibility that's one possibility the o- the other thing that's not entirely outside of his victimology is that it's a it's a person that he believes he could easily overpower right you know right. he's always attacking women or elderly people and one that kind of goes off the rails a little bit i don't know uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the Charlie Project, and one of the people that they think maybe is connected with Hilton is Jason Knapp. Now, he went missing in 1998, uh, April 12th, from Clemson, South Carolina. Now, it seems like he had a debit card and stuff on him, but uh, there was $20 taken out of his account the day he went missing. But other than that, no more activity also, Jason was pretty big guy, mm-hmm. uh, so it doesn't kind of fall into the whole Gary Hilton being all little and wiry. Right. Uh, it looks like Jason probably could handle his own. Uh, but again, if uh, we, we do know that Gary Hilton has used a gun in the past, but there was no signs of struggle right. where, where Jason went missing. So uh, something to look into, but I, I don't think there's a lot of connection there. You're right. It's it's very loose. I think the one thing that they that they've talked about here as far as Gary's concerned is that the vehicle, the Jason Knapp's vehicle was found in a state park. So it right. you know, that that's the connection there. How you know, however loose that is. Um we also have on this list we have uh Patrice Andreas. Um she disappeared from her hair salon uh in two thousand and four. This is April fifteenth, two thousand and four. Mm-hmm. Um now she would have been of in Georgia as well. So not a terrible distance for Gary Hilton. The strange thing here is this is definitely a robbery. When you look into this case, right. uh, they, whoever, whoever took her robbed the hair salon beforehand. Um, she would end up being found in a same, in a similar area to that of Meredith Emerson and Levi Frady. So we have, we have that connection plus the robbery. 
One thing, too, in the the background interviews that we've been discussing with Gary Hilton is one thing that the Georgia Investigative Bureau was questioning him about was, did you ever go into hair salons? You know, I know it sounds like a strange place for a man to go, but did you ever go into any hair salons? Right. And he says when he was selling siding that he would go into hair salons on Saturdays when he thought that, that the building needed new siding, he would offer, he would go in on Saturdays because the owner was typically there because it'd be the busiest day of the week for the hair salon. And while he was there, he'd pass out business cards to, uh, the, the women waiting in line to get their haircut. Um, again, you know, the only real connection here is the robbery and where the body was dumped. Yeah. Big connection. I mean, a big connection between Meredith and Levi and Patrice is that they're all found in the same County. Next person on my list is Rosanna. Yes, we have Rosanna Melania. Now, she was from Florida, but she disappeared December 7, 2005 from Cherokee, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. She flew into town, and then while she's at the Ramada Inn, uh, she calls a family member stating that she was going to go on a hiking trip. And she was going to go hiking on the Appalachian Trail, which is a big connection to Gary Hilton, obviously. Um, she's later then seen, and this is believed to be the last time that she was seen. They were at, she was at a store, but she mm-hmm. was in the, she was with an older man. Uh, this is an unidentified man, approximately about 60 years old with gray hair at his temples. Now the person that saw them did say that this man may have been wearing a hairpiece because if you see the sketch of the person, mm-hmm. he clearly has hair that Gary Hilton did not have. Right. Um, but again, it does look very much like a hairpiece. Uh, the man had said that he was a traveling preacher, which <laughs> sounds similar to some of the cons that yeah, we've yeah, heard yeah. Gary Hilton pull in the past. Um, she did suffer uh, she, from mental illness. She was schizophrenic. Um, might not have been a great idea for her to be out, you know, states away on her own going hiking by herself. It just seems like a situation where sh- she could be, you know, she she probably looked to him as somebody that that he could have taken that that he could have. She's out of her element. She's out of the area. Yeah. Um. She doesn't know. She doesn't know the state park. Yeah. Well, with the Bryants and with uh, Emerson, you know, the, those are victims that happen at a park. Mm-hmm. And then Cheryl Dunlop, we don't know for sure. Right. So since we don't know for sure with the in the Dunlop case that we can put uh, Rosanna into that possibility. Again, we don't know if she ever made it to the park to go hiking. We don't, I don't believe there's any eyewitnesses of ever seeing Rosanna at a park. Right. Other than her stating that she was going to go hiking. But that does not, you know, disclude, you know, Hilton at all. Right. And the last time she's seen is at that store with that older man and they're purchasing a, a, a backpack and sleeping bags things that look like you're going on a camping trip. Now she's never seen again. And none of her items that she took with her on this personal vacation were ever recovered as well. So, uh, those items would be important to find. There is some strangeness in her case though, because while she was there, she rented a storage unit, which seems like, which is a kind of a connection with Gary. Cause we know that Gary lived out of a storage unit for about five years or so. Yeah. It's a connection to him, but it also seems like a, a entirely like just a, the strangest thing to do when you're on a vacation. Yeah. yeah I don't know that you need a storage unit for anything. I can't figure that out. Unless it, unless it was, you know, a whole connection with Gary Hilton and he's conning her into running a storage space that he is going to use mm-hmm. or, or who knows? I mean, 
So, I mean, the fact of the matter is that we do know that he was involved in, in the murders of four people. So we could just suspect that it's probably more than four. The big question for me is, was it, you know, is he one of the rare breeds of serial killer that wait till later in life to start killing? That's the big question. And I don't know as much as Gary Hilton likes to talk. I don't know if he's ever going to answer that question for us. Right. Next up, we have Michael Scott Lewis who went missing November 21st, 2007. And this, he went missing in Florida. Um, and this, this situation here, he went missing from the same County as Cheryl Dunlap. And this, this is what's weird here. How is he connected? Listen to this. First of all, we can put Gary Hilton in that area because we know that Cheryl Dunlap was abducted December 1st. Michael Scott Lewis was just abducted 10 or 11 days before that. So it's not Mm -hmm. crazy to think that he would have been in the area. Um, Michael Scott Lewis's body is found in three different garbage bags in Tacoma State Park in Florida. This is December 6, 2007. So we're seeing a situation where uh, what he did forensically to some of these other victims, you know, with the de- decapitation or removing the hands, right. that we're seeing a similar situation where um, where Scott, what Michael Scott was dismembered as well. And we can put Gary Hilton in the area. So that one's really interesting to me. And then the, the final one that we have is on December 6, 2007, an unidentified woman missing hands, feet, and head was found in five black plastic garbage bags along Stitcher Road in LaGrange, which is west of Macon near the Alabama line. Um, there was an attempt made to burn these bags. Mm-hmm. Now, so we have, a, we have a, a, a situation here where we don't, because she's unidentified, we don't know where she's from, where she went missing from. Mm-hmm. And we also don't know if she was robbed of an ATM card that would have been used because we don't, know who this body belongs to. Right. Uh, but again, we're seeing a situation where uh, the dismemberment and the use the use of the garbage bags is similar to the Gary Hilton situation. Now, these last two that we talked about would still mean that he would have been in his 60s at the time that he started killing. Yeah, I mean... Assuming that the woman had not been missed, missing for very long. Yeah, those two to make a, a lot of sense. But again, it's the unidentified body. You would like to know where it's from. I mean, because the connection... Um, with Michael Scott and uh, Dunlop being from the same county. That's mm-hmm. you know, again, but how many people are in those counties? But right. But there is a lot of similarities there, and, and hopefully, um, they can keep trying to link stuff, and maybe even you know through DNA or whatever they can add more charges to this guy and get closure for the other people. Yeah. Uh, the most interesting case that I, you know, when you're searching and, and scouring the uh, information highway to try to figure out anything about Gary Hilton. Uh, I kept on kind of coming up on Reddit post. Okay. Linking Gary Hilton to the Mara Murray case. Oh yeah. Now we know that Mara Murray went missing in uh, 2004. So again, this is not the time frame is not too far off. The problem here is we don't, you know, from all accounts that we know that she wrecked her car and then was never seen after that. So is that, that kind of is similar to the Cheryl Dunlop where we don't know how she was taken. 
Um, but we also, there is no body for Mara Murray, so we don't know if she's ever been found. The big problem here for me is the distance. Yeah. This happened in New Hampshire. Uh, Gary Hilton seems to be always around Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I looked at his arrest records. There is no arrest that I have found that is up north. Mm-hmm. And if he was doing anything sketchy, if you're up north and you have Florida license plates or Georgia license plates, normally that's kind of a red flag for cops to pull you over if you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no nothing on record there. So it's just a name that kind of pops up a lot in that case. And so I just kind of, well, I, I found that interested, interesting. I'm, I'm always following the Mara Murray case. So uh, I was kind of hoping that there was some, you know, more of a connection to figure out you know, it, some closure in that case, but uh, I don't think it's connected here. So it's we're obviously in 2017 now, but so some time has elapsed. Some years have elapsed since he's been convicted and sentenced to death in the state of Florida. So Gary Hilton is scheduled to die in the state of Florida in 2023 or 2024. Now, what I'm hoping here, Captain, is mm-hmm. we might see a Ted Bundy type situation where we have a guy that's in custody, he's scheduled to be executed, right. that doesn't mind confessing or talking, I wonder what we can learn from Gary Hilton as he gets closer to that date. Is he going to try to buy some time and release some names and give some details? Who knows? Maybe he is connected to some of these cases. Well, I think the thing that you have to be suspect there is his con man nature. Right. And will he just be trying to make up stories to buy time? Or will he actually be involved in, in, in these these murders? So, uh, of course, our final thoughts here is I, th- I think he might be connected to one or two or maybe more of these. It's, some of these connections are a bit loose, but some of them we don't have a lot of information. So uh, the thing here is, though, Meredith Emerson, uh, she yes, she fell victim to Gary Hilton, but but she is a hero. And, and we talked about her fighting back every step, every inch of the way against Gary and how her fighting back led to his being identified as the possible abductor and his arrest. Yeah, I mean, Meredith, uh, she was a badass chick, yeah. basically. Yeah, and the thing, too, here is it, it led to convictions in prior cases. Yes. And think about all the people it prevented Gary Hilton from attacking and killing in the future. Well, yeah, yeah, because even, you know, the the question, the big question of did he just start killing later in life well, that doesn't matter because if Meredith didn't do what she did, then he would have just kept going. And thank God he's behind bars. It's one less bad guy to worry about. Yeah, and I mean, my final thoughts on Gary Hilton is he's a wiry pile of horse shit. And I, I hope there is some prison justice there. So uh, you want to remind them of the recommended reading? Yes, this week we are recommending the Yosemite murders. Uh, this has got quite the story to it here, Captain, because remember many months ago, we recommended a book called I Know My First Name is Stephen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we had a case that took place where Stephen Steiner was, he was abducted and he was held for like seven or eight years. It was one of the first cases of its time where he had escaped and came home and returned to, to his home many, many years after being abducted. Well, his older brother, um, Carrie Steiner, was a... Uh, was part of that same family would grow up to become a serial killer killing in one of the national parks on the other side of the nation. So when we started talking about Gary Hilton, it reminded me of, 
of the Yosemite murders. And this is by Dennis McDougall. And you can pick that up by going to our website, truecrimegarage.com. And you're going to go to the recommended page. We have, we have Steven's book there. We have the Yosemite murders book there. Until next time, be good, be kind, and don't litter. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.